Our scripture lesson is taken from John chapter 6. I'll begin reading at verse 52 on page 1,229 of the Pew Bible, page 1,229, John 6, verse 52. I'll read through the end of the chapter with particular attention to the last 11 verses, verses 60 through 71. John 6, verse 52. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, 30 years ago, 1991, uh, the Reverend uh, Tim Keller preached a sermon on this text. And he started out the sermon by speaking of his fear of cancer. He mentioned that all four of his grandparents had died of cancer, and therefore he felt he was genetically predisposed to cancer, and he hoped, he hoped that if he ever got cancer, it would appear uh, on his uh, skin, maybe on his arm or his leg, as some uh, big sore that could uh, be immediately evident and quickly treated. Uh, He had that hope because he knew that most cancers aren't that way. Uh, Most cancers are very insidious. They are internal and they often go undetected for 
a long time, doing a lot of damage before they are discovered. And uh, his, uh, his fears uh, were not unjustified. Last June, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, although it was discovered uh, in a routine physical so that the doctors felt they, they caught it early. And indeed, he has uh, responded well to, uh, to treatment thus far. But why would he start a sermon like this on, by speaking of the insidious character of cancer? Well, because false disciples in the church are like cancer. They often go undetected for a long time and do a lot of damage before they are discovered. Jesus was very much concerned about false disciples and uh, spoke a great deal about it. Uh, He also, uh, Reverend Keller also spoke about cancer, and uh, Jesus does too, uh, talks about false disciples, because uh, uh, the situation is not without hope. That is, uh, if cancer is discovered, sometimes even in its latter stages, uh, there are cures, and uh, people can uh, uh, overcome it. And so it is with false disciples that though uh, someone may not uh, be a true disciple at this moment, nevertheless, if they take heed to the warning, uh, or she takes heed to the warning, uh, there is uh, a remedy available to us. And so we want to look at this uh, subject of false uh, disciples among those who walk with Jesus. That's the uh, expression used in our text that uh, uh, after a time these uh, disciples went back and walked with him no more. They walked with him for a time, but then they stopped walking with him. Well, uh, we want to look into this matter and begin by just remembering that this is a broad topic in the Scriptures. It, it comes up again and again. For example, Jesus told the parable of the ten virgins who were all considered to be friends of the bridegroom. But when the bridegroom arrived, it was discovered that some of them were not prepared. And not being prepared gave a revelation that they really weren't true friends of the bridegroom. Had they been true friends of the bridegroom, they would have been prepared for his coming. Uh, a similar uh, parable is the, the parable of the, uh, the two houses, one built on the rock and one built on the sand. By all appearances, the houses are the same. But when storms come, when trial and tribulation come, then is revealed what's underneath them. One is built on the rock, and that house stands, but the other is built on the sand, and that house collapses. Uh, There are those houses, those lives that appear all to be the same, but when tribulation comes or when judgment comes, then uh, the truth is revealed that one really wasn't what it was pretended to be. Uh, Jesus tells the, the parable of the four soils. And you know, in three of the four soils, the seed of the word takes, uh, takes, uh, starts to germinate, starts to grow. But uh, 
In only one of the soils does it really sink down roots and bear fruit. Uh, Some people receive the word with joy, but when trials come, uh, it disappears. The the fruit of the word uh, isn't there. Or when uh, the cares of this world, the concerns of this world impinge upon their lives, again, uh, it shows that it was all for nothing. There was a man who came up to Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus. And uh, Jesus looked at him and warned him, you better, you better count the cost first before you commit to following me because uh, it's better not to vow than to, to vow and break your vow, as the, the proverb says. Uh, those who uh, say they are followers of Christ, but are not are not are going to be far judged far more severely than those who uh, never followed him at all you know Jesus wasn't the only one concerned about this Jude in his epistle he he warns about certain men who have crept into the church and are blemishes at your love feast because they are waterless clouds and fruitless trees for whom gloom and utter darkness there are reserved Gloom and utter darkness is their their destiny. But right now, they're in there in the church among you. And uh, they're, they're appearing to be one with you. The author of the book of Hebrews warns that there are covenant members who have been enlightened and uh, tasted the goodness of the Word of God. And think of uh, the, the Exodus and people tasting the manna and drinking water from the rock and so forth. He says there are people who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and then fall away and trample underfoot the blood that sanctifies them. He warns about those who go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth. Concerning such, the author of Hebrews says, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance and there no longer remains for them a sacrifice for sins. The Apostle John in his epistle says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So you see, again and again, there are false disciples in the church, and sooner or later they're their nature will be revealed unless, of course, they take heed to themselves, take heed to the warning, and uh, repent before it is too late, while it is yet called today, the day of salvation. One could go on and look at uh, Old Testament passages where, again, a whole generation perished in the wilderness, though they had seen the miracles of God in Egypt and tasted the, the manna and drank the water from the rock, which was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and, and they perished in, in unbelief because they did not receive the good news in faith. In short, false disciples are a problem. And the Bible teaches us to expect to find such among us from time to time and So we all need to take heed to ourselves. The Apostle writes in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Test yourselves and see if you are of the faith. Test yourselves and see if you are of the faith. And so let's test ourselves today by 
comparing ourselves first to the false disciples and then to the the true disciples, those who uh, continue to walk with Jesus and see what they're like and see uh, uh, what we're like in comparison to them. First of all, then, the, the false disciples. And the first thing that we learn about them in our text today is that they respond to the teaching of Jesus by saying, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? This is a hard saying. And when they say it's a hard saying, they're not saying it's a a difficult subject. They're not talking like uh, uh, we're studying uh, nuclear uh, physics or uh, calculus and trigonometry and those sorts of things that uh, were always uh, very difficult for me to comprehend when I studied them in college. Uh, uh, He's not talking about hard subjects. He's, He's talking about people who are unwilling, unwilling to accept what they are hearing. They they have an idea of what Jesus is saying, and they don't like what he's saying. They don't like the implications of what he is saying. They were glad to follow Jesus for the miracles of healing. They were glad to follow him for the free food. They would gladly make him king and follow him uh, into battle against the Romans in order to uh, free Israel from having to pay taxes to Rome. There were lots of things they liked about Jesus And so they were, for a time, counted among his disciples. They did walk with him for a while. But this idea that he was bread come down from heaven, greater than the bread that had come from God through Moses, and that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to live, well, that that was too much to accept. that, That turned them off, if you'll pardon the pun. It was too much for them to swallow. There are two reasons given why they... They turn away, both of them a little earlier than our text, uh, uh, in, in verse 42, six, John 6, 42, he, they, uh, they said, how can this man uh, uh, be from heaven since we know his family? His family's right here with us. Uh, how can he be from heaven? Uh, they they re- rejected the idea that Jesus was more than just human, you know, he he said, I have come down from heaven. I am the, the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And how can you come down from heaven? We know your, your mother. We know your father. We know your brothers and sisters and so forth. You're, you're just an ordinary human being. They rejected him as someone special. They rejected him as having uh, any authority over them. You know, this, this is what uh, happened to Jesus when he went to Nazareth, to his home, home, hometown at the beginning of his ministry. Uh, uh, this is a local boy. How come he's putting on airs? Yeah, we heard about his miracles, and we're, we'd like to see his miracles, but uh, he's just one of us. And they, they didn't consider him anything special, and they even tried to kill him on that occasion because they thought he was uh, too uppity, uh, too uh, full of himself, of claiming too much authority for himself. Uh, the first reason they don't like him is that he's claiming this divine authority for himself, and they reject that authority. And having rejected his authority, then secondly, they also reject his speech. They don't like what he's saying. They, they don't like the implications that they, they need him for life. They, they feel they can earn their own uh, eternal life through their own obedience and so forth. So having rejected their authority, they reject his word as well. And uh, the message becomes foolishness to them, you know. How can we eat his flesh? You know, uh, that's that's silly. That's foolishness. Uh, and uh, so he they uh, reject him. Now, of these two things, uh, 
rejecting his authority and rejecting his speech as foolishness. Uh, The first, of course, I think is uh, far more important, this rejecting of his authority. Uh, At this point, the twelve, or eleven if you don't want to count Judas uh, among the twelve, uh, at this point, the, the disciples who continue to walk with him, they don't have a good understanding of Jesus' words. Uh, they have a very faulty understanding of Jesus' words. There's much that Jesus says, not just about eating his flesh and blood, but much of his teaching. They misunderstand at this point in his ministry. But they are convinced that he's from God. They are convinced that he is from God, and so they they... They hang with him. They continue with him because they respect him. The fact uh, that authority is the key issue here is is confirmed a couple of ways. First of all, he says in uh, in our text, what if you were to uh, see, in verse 62, what if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Now, imagine you were to see Jesus ascend into heaven. Uh, would that confirm for you, if you could see that with your own eyes, that Jesus had some kind of special authority to hold over you and, and have the right to tell you what to do and what to believe and how to live and so forth, if you could see that with your own eyes? I, I think that the answer would have to be yes. If I, if I actually saw Jesus with my own eyes ascend into heaven then uh, I would recognize that he's, <laughs> he's somebody special, and uh, I better heed his words. Well, Jesus was not ready at this point to ascend to heaven, and the, his question goes unanswered. They don't answer his question, but he's saying this for the sake of his apostles, because they would see it. They would see it, and... And at that point, it would be confirmed for them. They have already accepted him as coming from God. Uh, We hear Peter make that confession uh, at the end of this passage. Uh, We know that you you are the the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the living God, and so forth. Uh, They have an exalted view of Christ already, but when they they see him uh, raised from the dead and ascending into heaven... This is uh, the seal, you know. This this makes everything abundantly clear to them of who Jesus is. And of course, you and I haven't seen it, but they did see it. And they have given us a sworn affidavit sealed with the, the their own blood, the blood of martyrs, uh, refusing to contradict their testimony, even to save their own lives. And therefore, we can receive that witness from them uh, as an authoritative witness that indeed Jesus did ascend to the Father from which he came, from where he came, ascended to heaven from where he came. Uh, Jesus is, is saying, you know, I do have the authority and I will give you proof of my authority, uh, not to these uh, people right then and there, But uh, in a very short time after his resurrection, he would give his disciples that proof. And through the disciples, you and I have been given that proof. Secondly, he he confirms that the authority is the main issue here. When he explains to the crowd that his words 
about eating flesh and drinking his blood should not be taken literally. He had said that they should eat his flesh in order to have life. Now he explains fully in John 6, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, if we want to feed on Christ, we have to believe his words. I uh, previously quoted uh, St. Augustine uh, to you. Uh, If you have believed... You have eaten. If you have believed, you have eaten. Or uh, if you want to feed on Christ, uh, these are my words, not Augustine's, but if you want to feed on Christ, uh, don't open your mouths, open your heart. Uh, Moses said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds uh, from the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus is confirming that now, that that you feed on him by believing his words. If their only problem was that they thought Jesus was teaching cannibalism, then that problem is now removed. He's not talking about cannibalism. He was speaking metaphorically. But then uh, we read after this explanation, it didn't matter to them. They stopped walking with Jesus because Ultimately, that wasn't the issue. The issue was his authority over them, and because they rejected his authority, they rejected his message as well. False disciples. False disciples are those who like the benefits that Jesus gives to people, but they don't want to submit to his authority. They don't want to give up being in charge of their own lives or accept that they are totally dependent upon him for life. The Belgian Confession in Article 29 says that uh, the false church ascribes more power and authority to itself and won't submit to Christ. The false church does that. Well, false believers do that too. They assign more authority to themselves and won't submit. You know, we're we're called to submit uh, to one another out of reverence for Christ. Children, obey your parents because this pleases the Lord. When when children submit to their parents, they're submitting to Christ because Christ is the one who tells you to do that. Wives, you're commanded to submit to your husbands. And when you do that, you're submitting to the Lord because it's the Lord who conf- uh, tells you to do that. And uh, members of the church, you're told to be submissive to those who rule over you in the war in, in the church. Uh, submissive to, to the uh, to the council to, to the consistory. Why? Because Christ commands it. Uh, he wants you to be living members of the body of Christ, submissive to uh, to one another out of respect for Him. And uh, you know the false disciples don't like that. <laughs> they, they want to say, "Well, I'll go to church, or I'll listen to church, but I won't submit to." being a member of the church, or I won't uh, do what they tell me to do. I'll decide for myself what I want to do. I'm still my own boss. That's the mark of a false disciple. There are lots of of benefits, you know, for following Jesus in this world that uh, false disciples like. You know, the the fifth commandment is the one that comes with a promise. uh, uh, Be submissive to your parents. uh, Honor your mother and father so that it might go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And 
People who, who follow the teaching of Jesus, not just children obeying their parents, but all the commandments, uh, it, it leads to a, a pretty good life. There's uh, peace and tranquility, there's uh, health, there's uh, wealth, there's uh, status in the community, uh, all benefits of living a moral, righteous life. Uh, if you uh, live a moral and righteous life, that keeps you out of jail. It enables you to get along with others. You have uh, a lot more peace and tranquility if you if you simply are a good person. Uh, if you uh, avoid uh, drug abuse and uh, uh, gluttony and uh, other uh, uh, harmful habits that the Bible warns us against, you'll probably enjoy pretty good health. And uh, if you're... Uh, a member of a church, well, if that's on your resume, it doesn't hurt you in the in the business world. And uh, if you want to run for public office, most everybody who runs for public office uh, has some kind of church affiliation, although that's beginning to change. But it's still the vast majority uh, uh, find that that helps them get uh, elected. Uh, your neighbors uh, believe you're an honest man or an honest woman and if uh, you learn a good work ethic, why in 30 or 40 years, by the time you retire, you'll probably have a pretty good nest egg and uh, own your home uh, outright and so forth. It, it leads to a good life. There are, there are benefits for living a well-ordered, uh, disciplined life according to the teaching of Jesus. People like those benefits. Other people serve Jesus or follow Jesus, or walk with Jesus, because uh, they're hoping that it will earn them a blessing. I'll do this for you, God, if you do something for me, you know? And uh, so they're in a kind of commercial relationship, uh, saying, uh, what's in it for me? And they, they measure what's in it for them, and they like it, and so they proceed. Some follow Jesus, uh, walk with Jesus out of fear. You know, if I don't do this, uh, he may make bad things happen to me. Some people follow Jesus out of a sense of pride because they like being on the on the right side. You know, uh, uh, if uh, your church has a good doctrine and orthodox practice and uh, supports the correct uh, political philosophy, you kind of take pride in that, and uh, that sets us above uh, other people in the community that go to churches that uh, teach all the wrong things, you know, that sort of thing. And so there are those who... For, for whom church membership or church affiliation is a matter of pride and, and arrogance and lifting themselves up over others. But in all this, people are thinking of themselves. A true follower of Jesus uh, enjoys benefits, but he does so not to serve self, but to serve God. You know, what we all have to come to realize is it's not about me. It's not about you. You and I are image bearers of someone else. We're the reflection of someone greater than ourselves. And we will not truly discover what it means to be human until we discover that we're created under God, for God, to bring Him glory, that it's all about Him, not about us. Seeking our own life, that's the way to lose it. But losing your life for who He is, that's the way 
to discover your true humanity. Examine yourselves. Why are you here? Why are you listening today? Is it to gain benefits for yourself so that you can make your life better? Or is it an act of submission to him who made you for himself? To honor him, to bring him glory for all the blessings of creation and all the blessings of redemption. But those are false disciples, people who are in it for themselves, who are still the boss of their own life and concerned only with what benefits them. What are true disciples like? Well, true disciples, they say, first of all, Lord, to whom shall we go? That's what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? Now, that, by that statement, Peter is acknowledging that he is in need. I need something. I need something, and I can't supply it myself. I can't take care of it myself. I am dependent, dependent upon the Lord to do for me what I cannot do for myself. You know, this goes contrary to, to human nature, fallen human nature. When, when we were young, or you who are young, <laughs> we have parents, parents who warn us. They warn us, you know, there's things out there in the world that can hurt you. You need to be on guard. You need to take care of yourself. There's trouble you can get into. They warn you about the dangers of spending too much money or the dangers of credit card or the dangers of uh, sexual immorality or the, the dangers of uh, this and that and the other thing. And, and, and when parents, when we were young and parents told us about these dangers, the natural reaction is to say, don't worry, don't worry, I can take care of myself. I can handle it. Well, Peter has progressed beyond that. The Apostle Peter says, Lord, we need you. We can't handle ourselves. We can't take care of ourselves. This is a confession of weakness and helplessness and utter dependence on Jesus as Savior and Lord. Being a, a true disciple of Jesus Christ means I can't make a success of my life. I need a Savior. I've messed up and I can't fix it. I've nowhere to go and no one to go to except for Jesus. You know, one of the hymns we uh, sometimes sing, Rock of Ages, it says uh, in the second stanza, Thou must save, and thou alone. I can't save myself. I need you. That's one mark of a true disciple is that he recognizes that he needs Jesus and there's no one else we can go to, nothing else we can go to that can do for us what Jesus does for us. He is the Savior. Secondly, Peter says, you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That expression, Holy One of God, is one that comes from uh, the Old Testament. It's part of Israel's messianic hope. We know that you are the Messiah. You are the, you are the longed-for one, the, the promised one, that you are uh, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. You have the words of eternal life, and uh, we need you. So he, he is recognizing the superiority of Jesus. He's recognizing the authority of Jesus. Jesus is Lord, the Lord of life and the Lord of his people. And uh, Peter is ready to submit to him. Uh, 
They've believed in Jesus, which means they've, they've put their trust in him. They have transferred their trust from themselves. I no longer trust myself to take care of myself. We trust you because of who you are. And we listen to your words because you have the words of life. Now, there may have been some pride in Peter's answer or among the, the 11 at this point because they recognize that they are staying with Jesus while others are falling away. And, and when, the, when you see that, there, there's the pride, to, uh, there's the temptation to say, I must be better than others. I must be smarter than others. And so Jesus reminds them again, did I not choose you? Did I not choose you? The reason you're still with me, the reason you're walking with me now, and while others have fallen away, is that I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. This is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and chose us to be his people. As a reminder again that salvation is all of grace and not of merit. And if you have chosen to walk with Jesus and to follow him, to honor his authority over your life and go to him as the one who does for you what you cannot do for yourself, namely pay for your guilt, uh, uh, the guilt of your sins and save you from the wrath of God, know that it's because you've done that because he first loved you and chose you to be his disciples. It's significant that the turning point for a large number of those who walked with Jesus and then turned away, the turning point for them was the teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which, of course, refers to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He became flesh in order to offer his flesh on the cross. This is the stumbling block, the, 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 the heart of the gospel, that we are sinners and it takes the death of the Son of God to pay for our sins. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Yeah, they heard the words of the gospel of of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and it was foolishness, and they turned away because of it. But Paul goes on to say, but to those who are being saved, this is the power of God, the message. The message of Christ's atoning work is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. May God give us such faith and enable us to persevere in walking with him. Amen.